Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? You guys glad to be here? Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm the family pastor here at Cross Point. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, thank you so, guys so much for being here this morning. Uh, pastor David, our lead pastor, is not here this morning. He is actually, uh, right this moment, he's in somewhere in southwest Georgia, um, actually kind of going ahead of us and uh, making some preparations for uh, uh, relief for those that were uh, struck and affected by um, Hurricane Michael this past week. And so <clears throat> I, I, it goes without saying, uh, please be in prayer for him and those that are with him as they are um, kind of going and just seeing um, how we can help and how we can be a part. I know a lot of you guys have expressed interest in um, being involved in some way and wanting to help. And, and, and I want to rest assured there's a lot of different ways for you guys to be involved, to be able to help. But uh, I was talking with Pastor David um, all of yesterday um, as he was uh, started, kind of started off in uh, the Bainbridge area. Uh, if you guys don't know, my, uh, my uh, family, my, my wife's parents, and uh, what I, I would call my parents, you know, they uh, live in Bainbridge. And, and I know there's probably a lot of other people here that have uh, friends and family. I know I was talking to uh, Abigail, who uh, has family in, in um, Donaldsonville, and many others who have friends and family around that area. And uh, Bainbridge was devastated. As far inland as we were, it was just um, so many trees down and power lines and homes destroyed and, and people have lost everything. Uh, a lot of people have lost everything. And so, um, so and, and that's just, that's, I don't even know how many hundred, you know, hundred so miles inland that is, uh, never mind the, the utter devastation that's happening out on the on the coast and the panhandle and, and as Hurricane Michael has ripped its way through there. And so Pastor David is in that, he's heading in actually in that direction towards uh, Panama City today and, um, and to kind of take note and he's connecting with um, several churches and, and uh, several organizations, of course our uh, Baptist organizations and things like that, both in Florida and in Georgia. And um, he even was able to connect with, if you got, you got some of you guys may know, um, Pastor Ernie Ford, he used to uh, pastor here in Valdosta and uh, recently have moved to Bainbridge and was devastated by, um, uh, you, know, uh, be, you know, became a pastor there and, and, um, and you know, their church, many of them uh, had a lot of loss um, that I know of, no loss of life in the Bainbridge area, but, um, but many of them homes destroyed and worse. And so just be, uh, it goes without saying the very first thing that we can do is we can pray for uh, those that have been affected by the storm, those that have uh, some of them, you know, have been just infected financially, but many others have been affected in many other ways. And so um, we, I was reading stories, and April was kind of conveying to me stories from friends that she knows that live out towards Mexico Beach and Panama City and the, just the horrific state that it is there. And so I say all that to say, uh, one, you know, not just to start off on a bad note, but I think never more than ever has it been a, a need for us to pray for uh, our nation pray for uh, the southwest uh, or southwestern uh, region of Georgia and the Panhandle area and and, and uh, those who were struck by uh, Hurricane Michael and um, uh, like I said I know a lot of you guys are just chomping at the bit to go and do something and so be patient with us as we get put to game, put together a game plan I think it's very important for us to prepare and plan and not just kind of go in half cocked but to have a plan and have uh, you know, a, a direction and a strategic pathway for what we're doing. And so that's what Pastor Dave is working on now, right, right now is partnerships and, and uh, things like that. So we have something to do. So let me give you guys real briefly, and we'll have a lot more information about this going out to the church via social media, email, and announcements and things like that, how you can be involved. 
Okay, so the first things first, uh, Pastor David posted about it yesterday. You guys can sign up if you'd like to go and help. One of the things that the most immediate need right this moment are people that um, have some skill or ability with uh, chainsaw. We need chainsaw operators. That's something, if you have a chainsaw and you're fairly proficient with it, that's something that could be immediately in the next, you know, uh, couple of days. That's something that we could use um, uh, even early this week. And so if, if that's something you uh, have some ability with, um, then let us know. Um, but also, if you guys are interested in going to help clean up and those uh, types of things, as an example, you know, uh, my, my parents, their uh, shed fell down on their house and on, on top of my father-in-law's car and stuff like that. You know, it's a small thing, but it's, they can't even get in their house currently because of that, you know, and so uh, things like that. And so, um, so cleanup efforts and things like that, that's something that almost any of us could do. It's important that the crews in Bainbridge and other places get um, power lines taken care of and things like that before we just go rushing in there. We'll let you guys know when we start sending in teams. But if you want to, if you are have some availability and and want to be a part of that, I'm going to direct you guys to the reception office that's up front. It's the big glass office at, right outside these doors over here. Uh, and we'll have some folks in there take down your name, contact information. That way we can let you guys know directly whenever uh, we get ready to start sending teams that way. Um, you can also help us by collecting goods. There's a list, and we'll have a list on our website, but also Pastor David posted a list of supplies and things that you guys can start bringing as early as today um, that we can bring to and help people out. The, they have closed the schools indefinitely in areas that have been stricken, uh, stricken by the hurricane because there's no power, and they have no timeline for when power will be back on. And as you can imagine, uh, especially in South Georgia, even in, even in what we, call, we pretend to call the fall, it still uh, can be very miserable Especially if you're working hard all day. I was talking with Pastor David. He, he worked a chainsaw for like eight hours yesterday and, uh, and then went to go, go to sleep in a hot house with no air conditioning and no, no water and no showers and no, no nothing, you know. And so it can be, uh, it's a very miserable, uh, you know, kind of place right now for a lot of people that are in that recovery mode and helping. And so, um, so supplies and things like that will be, uh, huge, and as I said, we'll have a list of those things that you can start bringing as early as today. And so, um, so please keep an eye out on our uh, social media. Like I said, we'll send out some churchwide emails as well to let everybody know if you want to be contacted directly about how you can be involved. Go and see uh, Tammy uh, and some of the other workers in the reception office there, and she'll take down your name and information, and we'll get in contact with you guys. Um, you know, in the next uh, day or so, really about how we can be involved. And so. Uh, a couple other real big announcements before we dive into God's word. I just think it's important to kind of point out one. And, and, and despite, you know, everything that's going on with Hurricane Michael, I think it's important to kind of focus on these things as well. And I'm actually going to talk about why that's important this morning. But uh, one of the things is Samaritan's Purse. Uh, you know, we as a church uh, made a commitment to raise 2,500 uh, shoeboxes for kids. That is a huge goal. Uh, that's a goal that's going to require each and every person in our church to be a part of that. We wanted to set a goal that was outside of what we could establish and do just on our own. And so we wanted to set a God-sized goal, not a man-sized goal, but, I, but it is gonna require us stepping out on faith and doing that. I myself am taking on, or our family, I say, you know, we're gonna adopt and, and do five boxes at least just for our family. Uh, that's, that's something that, you know, uh, I would encourage any of you guys to consider doing. Uh, let me put it this way. We have 2,500 boxes out there, and so if you see boxes out there, there's still a need, and there's still an opportunity for you to impact another child. You know, I was talking with Pastor Ross, um, our student pastor, about a student that he knew that, went, that he met in seminary 
who uh, he was talking, he was, uh, I can't remember where from, but somewhere in Africa that uh, a student that had come over here and, and he was talking about how he was impacted when he was a child by a Samaritan's purse, by a shoebox that came and what a huge impact that had on his life and his walk with Christ. And so, you know, these are things that impact real people and make a huge impact for eternity in, in children's lives. And so it's an awesome way for us to be involved. Uh, I also wanna mention um, tonight, uh, this evening, uh, starting at 5 p.m., we're gonna have um, one big life group. Uh, somebody said this morning, one huge group, you know. Uh, but we're really excited about that. It's gonna be here at the church at 5 p.m. in this room. Uh, we're gonna have a potluck dinner, so if you wanna bring something, uh, bring enough for your family. If everybody brings enough for their family, we'll have plenty to go around. Uh, we've done these in the past. They're awesome. They're tons of fun. If you are in a life group, you definitely encourage to be a part of this. It's a great way for us to all come together and see what God is doing in the midst of our life groups. But I also want to encourage you, this is for anybody in here. Uh, do this right here. If you have one of these, then you're, you're invited to one big life group, okay? And so if you're not in a life group, that's okay. This is an opportunity for you to come and see what life group is all about because in a very real way, even though it's kind of a big thing, this is what life groups do every week. We come together, we gather together around food and fellowship, and we break bread together, which by the way is not just food, but praying together and, and doing life together and, uh, and that sort of thing. We're also gonna have some, uh, some special entertainment. Um, Andrew Stanley, which is Andy Stanley's uh, son or, or maybe a different generation, Charles Stanley's grandson. Um, he is gonna be here tonight and he is gonna, uh, he's a, a stand-up comedian so I think it'll be uh, really fun and, and so we're excited about that as well, just be a nice way. We don't have stand-up comedians on a weekly basis with Life Group except some of those yahoos that are in their group but, uh, but, uh, but it's gonna be a lot of fun and so I wanna encourage you guys, uh, this is your open invitation to come and be a part tonight and uh, it's gonna be fun. Starting at five so y'all make sure you be here and then finally, I want to um, put a shout out to my college students. Uh, a lot of them are not here on first service, but um, uh, College Venture Weekend is this coming weekend, and so we actually have a table out in the lobby if you guys want to sign up for that. It's going to be an awesome time for uh, college students to come together, and it's going to be here locally in town, so it'll be a lot of fun. And uh, even if you have something going on, maybe uh, one of the two days, we're doing it Friday and Saturday, if you have something going on, the, the benefit of doing it locally is you can you know, be here for Friday, if not for Saturday, if you have to work or something like that. So I wanna encourage you guys to go and see our tables. It's the one with the cool kayak out in the, in the lobby out there. So, uh, so that's all the announcements. So let me just dive into uh, God's word. We took a little bit of a break last week, and, um, but I wanna dive back into the, the series, um, just talking about new life. And the, the series title today is Joined with Intentionality. And I think, especially in the context of what's going on and, and especially in, in, in our response to uh, Hurricane Michael, and, but, but our response to a lost and dying world, the, the, what we're gonna talk about today I think is critically important. So we're gonna be uh, back in Ephesians chapter two this morning. Um, uh, last time Pastor David shared with us, we were talking about, um, I, I love this, he was talking about, uh, and, and it's actually two of these, um, the, the, these huge but statements. You know, the first one uh, that we talked about last week in Ephesians 2.13, but, na but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ, right? And then, of course, uh, the other one that he mentioned was in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, and, and so there's these amazing, uh, these huge buts, right? And so be careful now, but... Uh, but I do love these huge butt statements, okay? And so, uh, get your mind out of the gutter. 
So, um, but, but they're really important. And so on the heels of these huge but statements, uh, but God and but Christ Jesus, uh, now we have this declaration from Paul to us. And so I want to just dive right into Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 22 this morning. It says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we have both access in uh, we, ha- we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And then in verse 19 it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together in a great dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there's a lot in here, and I want to start off the very first thing I just want to kind of point out here. There's this amazing couple of words here right in verse 14. At first, And this is not even like my main point. I just had to point this out, but that Christ is our peace. I love what it says in verse 14. It says, for he himself is our peace. And I love the way it says this because it doesn't say, it doesn't just say that Christ brought peace. It does say that later in the passage, but it doesn't just say that Christ brought peace to us. He says he himself is our peace. And I love this because this is so important. You know, last week, Pastor David, he reminded us that, that, these gen, that we as Gentiles, that's, that's pretty much every one of us in this room, uh, probably, right? Uh, we are all Gentiles, and the, and the scripture tells us we're formerly separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so he's describing me and you, a people that were without Christ and without hope. I mean, what a, what a place to be without hope. And, and in this place of having no hope, there was no peace. And he says, and, but then he goes on to say, but because of Jesus, he didn't just bring peace to us. He is our peace. And I was thinking to myself and asking myself this question, how can Jesus be our peace? I can understand how Jesus could bring peace to us. You know, he's the prince of peace and those sorts of things, right? But, but how could he be our peace? And, and I was reminded of, um, there's a missionary, his name is Don Richardson. In uh, 1962, he went to, uh, he went to the Sawi people, which is in uh, North or South America uh, currently, and um, he, re- he, was, he, was, he wanted to go and minister to the Sawi people. And if you know anything about the Sawi people, at this time they were cannibalistic. They were known to be headhunters. It was a very dangerous place for them to go. He took his wife and his children to this place where not only was it dangerous to go because they were cannibalistic headhunters, they were known to do these types of things, but they were also people who could kill you because of the malaria and other things that as the people they were infected with that, that these missionaries were not. And so he goes to minister to these people and he begins to learn the language, an incredibly difficult language to learn. And, he, and so even as he ministers, he, he encounters problems from the very first day because he can't communicate with these people. 
Every verb that they have have 19 tenses. And I don't even know what that means exactly, but it's ridiculous, okay? And so he encountered those types of communication issues and also culturally, as I said, cannibalistic war tribes, headhunters, uh, vicious people that had the capacity to be very vicious. And so the culture that existed in these tribes, in the Sawi and the Sawi people, and the multiple tribes there, and the warring tribes, was something that was very hard for him. Even as he began to learn the language, he spent eight to ten hours a day learning the language. Even as he learned the language, he struggled to communicate with them who Christ was and who Jesus was. He would tell the story of Jesus Christ, and they would and they would be all excited about Judas. They would praise Judas because Judas was the smart one. Jesus was the idiot who let himself get killed. And so there was this, this, this difficulty that, that he had. And then finally one day, he began to talk to the, to the people. And there was these warring tribes and these warring nations within the Sawi people. And one of the things that he discovered was that these tribes had now made peace with each other. And so he was talking to them. How did you make peace? And he said, well, we have the peace child. And so they began to explain the concept of the peace child to him. And so the way the peace child works is these warring tribes, they would take their sons and, they would, and their daughters and they would give their sons and daughters to the other tribe. And if you think about it for just a moment, if you're fighting with another family or another tribe and that sort of thing, but you take your own flesh and blood and they now belong to this tribe, would you go and kill that tribe? Would you go and eat them or chop their heads off? No. And so they would do these things, and not only would they do these things, but the tribe, the tribal leaders who would commit to giving their children to another tribe, they understood that these people could be trusted. If someone would give up their own child, then this is someone that we can trust. This is someone that we can have communion with. This is someone that we can make peace with. And there it was, the peace child. And so he began to explain how Jesus was the peace child that God came and gave his child to us, that God is someone to be trusted because of his great sacrifice, because he gave. And this child that he gave, he gave so that he would not have to destroy this tribe and the Sawi people. And when they finally began to see Jesus as the peace child, they began to give their life to Christ in amazing ways and powerful ways. Jesus didn't just bring peace to the Sawi people. He was their peace. He was the peace child. And in the same way, that's what God did for us. He became the peace child for us. And so it's this beautiful picture of what, of what Christ did in the atonement. And so that's the first thing. Christ is our peace. I got to move a little bit quicker than that. So second thing I want you guys to see here, and this is, this is uh, really good, is Christ broke down our walls. Look with me in verses 14. Uh, the second part of verse 14 says, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments and expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, and I love this, killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. And so there's this picture here, and we have to understand, when, 
when Paul is writing this to the Ephesian church, he's writing this to the believers in, in Ephesus, and he's talking about the dividing wall. Every single person in that city and every single uh, believer and Jew and every other person would know exactly what he's talking about. We have a hard time understanding exactly what, when he's talking about this dividing wall, we have a hard time understanding because we don't have like the cultural context. So it's important to understand the cultural context here, okay? In uh, the city of Ephesus, there was a great temple, but also in the city of Jerusalem, there was the temple, right? It was the temple that every Jewish person understood, and there was power in this temple, and God was, was thought to exist in this temple. He lived in this temple behind the veil, and, and just to try to paint a picture of what this temple looked like. So in the middle was the Holy of Holies. That's where God was existed in, in, in not in like a physical body, but you know, they understood that God was there inside that temple. And then around the temple, there were three courts. There was the courts of the priests, there was the court for the, the men, and there were the court for the women. And all of this, this temple court was on a high elevated platform so that really for miles around, people could see the temple. The temple of Solomon, King Solomon was gilded in gold. He made this beautiful, amazing temple that people around the world knew about. And it was this elevated thing. And so when you saw it, you could see it for miles around. And this, so, so Christ or, or God was in the, in the Holy of Holies and the three courts around it, the priests, the men, and the women. And they were all on this equal plane. And so then from there, you go down, step down five steps, right? Kind of like this right here. And then there's this uh, space and there's a wall or a barricade. And then you go down another 14 steps beyond that and then there's another wall, and on this wall were posted signs in multiple languages. Uh, I love what it says here. So this is what the sign said. It says, and this is translated in English, right? It says, no foreigner, right, is to go beyond the barricade in the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will surely come after and so these were the walls that were posted. And so, and the court that was down these five steps and down another 15 or 14 steps was known as the Gentile court. In other words, Gentiles could be followers of God. In other words, they could follow after God. They had to be circumcised and they had to do all these, you know, rites and rituals and things like that. But they were allowed to. But even within the temple, they could not be on the same plane as Jews whether it was priests, men, or even women. And, and it's amazing to see this, this Gentile temple, that, this court that went around, uh, they, as they walked around, they could see the Holy of Holies, and they could see the, the, the priest courts and the, and the temple, but they could not approach it on penalty of death. And this is the dividing wall that Paul is talking about here as he's talking, as he's talking about this. And so you have to understand what Paul is saying here is huge because he's saying that dividing wall that divides Jews from Gentiles has, by Christ, has now been torn down, has been destroyed. And not only that, but he's saying that, that we're taking these two men, right? He's talking about the Jewish man and the Gentile man. We're taking these two men and he has made them one. And I can just tell you, this was not a popular doctrine that Paul was teaching and preaching in those days. And so it's very important to understand that Paul, and more to the point, Christ, was breaking down walls. And I, I don't know about you guys, but, but God has been in the business of breaking down walls since then. He has been crushing uh, walls that divide us and, and, and the walls of hostility and doing exactly what he said through the cross, killing hostility. Maybe it's through uh, slavery, you know, maybe it's through 
uh, all these different things, uh, different, the differences between us as people and all these sorts of things. But over, over the, the years, Christ has been in the business of breaking down walls in our lives. Amen? And so, and then another thing I want you to see before I actually get into the, the main uh, point here is that Christ gave us access to God. Look with me in verse four, or 18. It says, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And, and, I'll, and I just wanna point this out real quick. I love this. It's just this little, this little reminder of the Trinity. I love this. It says, um, for through him, that's Christ, the Son, we both, again, talking about these two, these two men that have been made one, we both have access in one spirit, the Spirit of God, to the Father. And so I love this, this picture of the Trinity that's here. But, it, but, but I love that what he's saying here is Christ has not only enabled our access to God, but he's enabled our access to each other. It says, through Jesus, we both. There's this idea that we are together now. This enmity that was between us, Gentiles were, were foreigners, were aliens, were, were, were without hope. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, because of what Christ has done, he has brought us together and he has given us, us, access to God. We can't miss that. And so here's the, the first, uh, my, I guess you would say my first point that I want you guys to see here. Look at me in verse 19. It says, so then, because of all of that, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So in other words, Christ has made us citizens of a new kingdom, amen? Christ has made us citizens of a new kingdom. I, I love this. You know, it, it's talking about this, this passage is saying, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're a fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so, and, and it's pointing out that, that this allegiance has been transferred, not just for the Gentiles. This is what Paul is trying to make clear. He's saying, not just for the Gentiles, but for the Jew also. He said, he's not just taking Gentiles and merging them into Jews, no. He's taking Jews and Gentiles and he's bringing them together and making a completely new thing. He says, this is a new kingdom and you are citizens in a new kingdom. And so that is a huge thing for us. And yeah, I was trying to think about, because I'm always trying to think, how does this apply to us? And you know, what's, what, for me, I was thinking of, you guys know what the oath of allegiance is? Uh, it's not the Pledge of Allegiance, right? I mean, we say the Pledge of Allegiance, right? But the Oath of Allegiance, for people that go through the process uh, of citizenship in the United States, and it's been literally millions of people over the last 220 years have gone through the process of citizenship. And when you go through that process, you go through this, uh, the last thing that you do is you take the Oath of Allegiance. And I wanna just read this Oath of Allegiance because I think it's, it's very important, and so here, here's the oath of allegiance. This is what every uh, new citizen for the last 220 years, millions of people over the years have done. It says, I hereby declare on an oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or a citizen. Now, in other words, I'm putting all that behind me that I will support and defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear the true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law, 
that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by law, and that I will take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose or evasion, purpose of evasion, so help me God. And, uh, and here's what I love about that statement is it's saying, wherever I came from, I'm disavowing any allegiance to wherever I came from. Here, from here, from this day forward, I am giving my, I'm pledging my allegiance to the United States. But that's really what's happening here in this passage is Christ is saying, because of what Christ has done, the impossible is now possible. It was impossible for us to take this oath of allegiance to Christ and to God before, but because of what he has done and through the gift of his death and burial and resurrection, he has given us the ability to become new citizens in a new kingdom. And so we take this oath of allegiance, and, and here's, here's the thing, you guys. This is especially important to understand because Paul is talking about this in a day and age where Rome is king. The Roman Empire had been around at this point for hundreds of years, and it was thought that they would be around for thousands more years. Now, that's not the case, Right? But that's what everybody thought. Everybody thought that the Roman Empire was going to, and, and Paul is saying here, no, now we are taking an allegiance and an oath to a new kingdom, to a new empire, that this empire is going to exceed far beyond what the Roman Empire, and you have to understand the enormity of what that means. That's like a nation that rules over America, over Europe. It was a nation that rules over the entire world in that moment. And he's saying we're going to disavow that nation and that empire, and we're going to make an oath and allegiance to a new empire and to a new kingdom. And this is the kingdom that God has established and stood up for us. And so it's very important to understand that when Christ made us citizens in this new kingdom, he was doing something huge and revolutionary. Now, we understand, right, that the Romans, they had been around for hundreds of years, and they thought they were going to be around for another thousand years. And they thought that they were the most powerful nation in the world. Does this sound similar to anybody? How long have we been around? And how much longer do we think we're going to be around? And what do we think we're the most powerful of? And don't get me wrong. I'm as American as they, are, as they come. I love America, and I'm so glad to be a citizen of this, but I also understand that I am a citizen of a new kingdom that I am a part of a greater kingdom that will exist far beyond. There will come a day when America will go away. It will happen. There will come a day when that happens. If you think America is gonna be in heaven, you've got another think coming, okay? The new kingdom that we are citizens of, this matters more, and our oath of allegiance to this new kingdom matters even more to our oath of allegiance to the country that we are a part of now. It matters. And these are revolutionary things that Paul is saying. And I can even hear some of you guys just steaming a little bit. But that's okay. Second thing I want us to see here, not only did Christ make us new citizens in a new kingdom, he also made us stones in a new temple. Look with me in verses 20 through 22. Verse 20, it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God 
by the Spirit. I love this. He's talking about the, these stones in a new temple. And, and here's the really interesting thing. If you look into this and you look at it carefully, you can actually see there's three types of stones in these few verses right here, okay? The very first uh, type of stone that it's talking about here is the foundation, right? Is the, is the bedrock, the foundation that this temple is going to be built upon. What does it say here in verse 20? It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And it's very important to understand what Paul is not saying here. He's not saying that this foundation is built upon people. No, 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 no. It's built upon what these people are preaching. It's built upon what these people are saying. It's built upon the very words of God. It's the same when in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus, he was talking to his disciples and he asked his disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? And some of them say, well, some people say you're Elias to come back from the dead. And some people say you're John and this and that. And they had all these ideas. And then he asked a very important question. He said, who do you say that I am? And they kind of waffled and they thought about it for a minute. And Peter, as per usual, bumps to the front of the crowd, ready to insert foot into mouth, but he, say, he gets it so right. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus, he says, you do well to say that, he says, and now I love this, he, he, he takes Simon, who was uh, this, this fisherman, and he changes his life. He doesn't just change his life, he changes his name, right? He says, you are no longer Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. Now you are, you are Peter, Pebble, <laughs> what a big upgrade. He says, you are Peter, a little pebble. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And for thousands of years, people have been misinterpreting and misconstruing what this passage is saying. And many people think that Christ is saying he's gonna build his church upon Peter and that Peter is the head of the church. No, that is not the rock that he built his church upon. The rock that God was speaking to was Peter's statement. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That is the Gibraltar. That is the rock. That is the foundation that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that is what the apostles and their prophets declared all throughout history and all throughout that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. And that is the foundation that was built on here. This temple is being built on the foundation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. The second type of stone that we see here is in verse 20. It says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So first we have God and his word and, and the statement, the truth that you are the Christ, the son of the living God as the foundation, the bedrock that the temple is established upon. And then it talks about Jesus himself is this cornerstone. You guys know what a cornerstone is? It's just what it sounds like. It's a cornerstone. It's funny, there's not, a few, there's not too many places anymore that you can actually see a corner, cornerstone. Um, there's a few places, like our courthouse has one. And the, uh, of course, like old buildings have one. But what's so interesting about a cornerstone is this huge stone usually, right? And it's used to establish the, the orientation of the entire building. Where you place that stone is how you begin to build the walls from the left and the right and up and back in every direction, whatever direction that, that your walls are being built. All, the, all of the walls and the direction, the alignment of this is based on the alignment or the orientation of the cornerstone. Nothing happens outside of that cornerstone. There's this, it's not even a central, it's the corner, but there's this, and he says, Jesus Christ himself is this cornerstone. And then finally, the third type of stone that we see here is us. We are the stones that are used to build the temple. Look with you in verse 21, 22, it says, in whom the whole, whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together 
into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so this is where we come in. We are stones in God's temple. And over and over and over again in Scripture, God talks about, or, you know, God tells us, he declares to us that we are his temple. We are pieces, we are parts of his temple. And, and uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter um, 2, verse 4, talks about we are living stones being built up into the temple. And over and over and over again, we see that we are stones. And, and, and I love this um, uh, theologian, James Boyce. He lays out uh, the application of the stones. He points out a couple things that I think that are really, it's really neat and really points out. First, the stones placed into this great structure are chosen and shaped for their position by God. It is his temple, and he is the architect. It's not for us to determine where and how we will fit in. Amen? We are just stones. God places us where he wants us. Second, the stones are placed into position in relation to Jesus Christ. They are attached to him, and if they are not, they are not part of this building. There's something off to the side, amen? Third, the stones are different shapes and sizes, perhaps even a different material. Lord knows, some of y'all in here are a different material. They are employed for different functions. Some serve in one way and some in another. Fourth, the stones are linked to one another. From where they are placed, you can't always see how you're connected to others or even how you're connected to the cornerstone, but you have to know and have to trust that you are. It's not a wall if you're not all connected together. Fifth, the stones of the temple are chosen, shaped, and placed not to draw attention to themselves, but to contribute to a great building in which God alone dwells. And finally, the placing of each stone is only part, I love this, only part of a long work begun thousands of years in the past that will continue until the new age when Christ returns. And so this temple that he is building up, we are just one more stone that was added all the way back from the beginning of time. God has been adding stones to his temple and he has been building his temple and we get to be a part of that temple. Amen? Can we just praise God for that truth this morning? And so we have to ask ourselves a very important question at this moment. This is something that I, I have to do every time. And so anybody want to say it with me? So what? Good job. Yeah. If you're visiting with me for, with us for the first time, you're probably wondering, what are you talking about? But I always have to ask myself the question, so what? And I don't mean that in a reverent way. I don't mean that. But it's important that we ask the question, so, so God made us new citizens in a new kingdom. So what? So God made us stones in a new temple. What does that mean for me? How do I take that and, and, and understand how God has destroyed the dividing wall, something that I have no context. There's no real connection to that in, in our day and our time. Even if we understand what happened historically, we have to ask ourselves the question, so what does this mean for me? How do I take this and how does this mean something for me? And this is what, this is what kind of jumped out at me. I wanna go back to verse 19 because it's this little, there's these few words that are added here, that if you're not careful, you can just run right over and we miss it. But praise God, we're not gonna miss it this morning. So look with me in verse 19, it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, right? And we already talked about that, that we are citizens in a new kingdom. I love this thing, it says, and, 
members of a new household. Christ didn't just make us new citizens in a new kingdom. He made us members of a household of faith. Amen? You know, it's interesting because I really believe that if all God did was he made us citizens of a new kingdom, if he combined Jews and Gentiles, then they would have found a way to coexist. Barely. I mean, I guess we can sit together, but I guess we can cooperate. And to this day, that's how we act. Barely accommodating. Civic duty. Just doing what we're supposed to be doing. But that's not what God said. He says, not only are you citizens, not only do you have a civic duty, he says, you are members of a faith family. It's more than just a responsibility. It's more than just a duty. It's something that goes beyond that. It's family. You don't just do out of, out of obedience or, or, or dutiful obedience. You do out of love and affection and care and concern. How is it that they are family members? I love this, Pastor David. He talked about this in, in Ephesians chapter one. He talked about how just as there are no natural born citizens of the kingdom of heaven, amen, we have all, and we're reminded again today that we are made citizens of a new kingdom. Made, we are naturalized citizens. There are no natural born citizens in the kingdom of God except for Jesus. And we have been made naturalized citizens, but in the same way that there are no natural born citizens, there are no, really no natural born citizens in America, right? We are all immigrants. But there are no natural born citizens in the kingdom of God except for Jesus, but he has made us natural born citizens. And there are no natural born children in God's family except for Jesus. He is the only begotten son. But you know what he did for us? He made us his sons and his daughters. You know, um, my wife and I, we have two natural born children, miracle babies told we never have kids and many years later we did yeah <laughs> Satan is a liar amen and then almost a year ago we adopted a third child her name is Jillian and I, I remember uh, it was it was in December we're coming up on a year now and I remember going to the courthouse it was a surreal moment it was something that God had been working in our lives, and, and no question about it, Jillian's a miracle baby too, if you know her story. In so many ways, she's a miracle baby too. And I remember going to the courthouse that day, and we, and we had uh, close friends, and of course our family, and we stood before the judge, and the judge declared, and he said, in just a few moments, I'm gonna declare that, that Jillian is your daughter. And in the same way that you provide for your sons, in the same way that you give them everything that they have and that you set them up for success and in the eyes of the law, 
Jillian will be no different. And he's not telling us anything we didn't already know and anything we, that's the beauty of this is Jillian did not choose us, we chose her. We got to choose her. That's the beauty of adoption. It wasn't up to her. It was up to us. That is why adoption is such a beautiful thing. That is why we didn't get to choose God. He chose us when he adopted us as sons and daughters of God. And so this judge, he declared, he says, I now declare that Jillian is, is your daughter. And so we, we went, you know, of course, we went out and celebrated and all that sort of stuff. And, and we've been spending a year, you know, with her and getting to know her and, and taking time with her. And, and, and as she grows, she grows just like our boys, you know, just like our boys, she'll have chore lists and responsibilities and and she, she will have the, the great privilege of carrying on the buffalo name. <laughs> Poor kids. At least she gets to get married and maybe change it. But in every way, she is a part of the buffalo herd. <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing. And so everything that we invest in her, even before she was adopted, we changed our will. We changed our plans, we changed our college savings and all these sorts of things for her. But it's very important to understand that as we approach this year, that, that she has all, she's gonna have responsibilities, as I said, chore lists and, and the responsibility of carrying on the, the Buffalo name, but she also has the privilege of being loved unconditionally, without qualification. It's a privilege that she has of being a part of our family. We are part of that, faith, that same faith family and we as a family, as a faith family, we have chore lists and we have responsibilities and we have things that we have to do as believers in Christ. And the reality is it's the same way that my boys don't do their job sometimes and she won't do her job and I have to get on to her. It's the same with us as believers in Jesus Christ, as sons and daughters of the adopted God the Father. We have responsibilities and we're going to, we're going to fall short on those responsibilities sometime. But God declares to us, he says, even no matter what, he says, I will always love you unconditionally and without qualification. That's the so what for me. That's what we, this is not just a new kingdom. This is a faith family. You know, it's important to understand that as a faith family, and I know what some of you guys are thinking right now. Some of you guys are thinking, I wonder how long the line at Mama June's is. That's what some of you guys are thinking. But I, I, know, I know what some of you guys are thinking. My life is so crazy right now. I've got kids and a wife and a job and, and, and a family. And I just don't know how I can do one more thing at the church and do this and do that. And, and, and here's what breaks my heart about that mindset, you guys, is that mindset as you begin to see the, the things that God has in store for us as a faith family, as a burden, as a responsibility, as some sort of thing, dutiful obedience that we're just burned out and we just can't do. Don't you know I've got softball? Don't you know I've got tennis? Don't you know I've got dance? Don't you know I've got a second job? Don't you know? Yes, I know. And so does God. But let me just tell you, which is more important, your family 
or your job. And so what God is calling us to do, he's calling us to see and to understand that these responsibilities that God gives us, the responsibilities to to grow, to connect, and to grow, and to serve in the sin, the responsibilities that we talk to you guys all the time about, and that we talk to each other about, and we declare that this is what God, God has called us to do, to connect, to grow, to serve, and to send. And you know, it's so funny, when we send someone out, people start complaining and grumbling about it. I'm like, why are you complaining and grumbling? This is what God has called us to do, is to send people out into the world to reach a lost and dying world for Christ. Yes, we're gonna lose people. Yes, people are gonna go other places, but they're not just going. We are sending, amen? That is our responsibility. That is our calling. It is not a burden. It is not a chore. It is a gift of God. We get to do this. We get to go to to Panama City and Mexico Beach and Bainbridge. We get to go to Dominican Republic and Honduras and we get to go to Australia and to India and to the far corners of the earth and we get to go down to, to, to Martin Luther King Boulevard and we get to go to, to uh, Lake Street and we get to go to every place in this city. We get to go to Adel and Madison and so many other places. We get to do this. These are not burdens or responsibilities. These are privileges because we are a part of the family of God. We have been adopted into the family of God. Why? Because of Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection. It is a privilege that was paid for in blood. Faith family, let's not see our calling as a burden. It's a privilege.